0: Welcome to the prolific teaching ministry of Pastor Emmanuel Iret, lead pastor of Celebration Church International. It is his vision to partner with you for your progress and joy in the faith. Ready, set, grow. I want to start by reading to you two texts, or we're going to read it together. Exodus 19, 5 and 6, we start with that, Exodus 19, 5 and 6, and then we'll make a contradistinction between that text and 1st Peter chapter 2 verse 9, so Exodus 19, 5 and 6, then 1st Peter chapter 2, hallelujah, Exodus 19, 5 and 6. I read verse 5 and you read verse 6. It says, Now therefore, if you will obey my voice and keep my covenant, then you shall be a special treasure to me above all people, for all the earth is mine. Verse 6, everybody wants to go. And you shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a what? Holy nation. These are the words which you shall speak to the children of Israel. Then you come to First Peter chapter 2 verse 9 and what does that say? He says, but you are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, and holy nation, his own special people that you should proclaim the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Now, it should interest you that God tells Israel, if you obey my voice and the covenant that I give to you this day, you shall be a holy nation, but then God looks at his church, his ecclesia, and he says, You are. He tells Israel, He says, If you obey, you shall be. But he tells his church, You are. Lift your hands, say, I am, I, am. I am who God says I am. Say, I am royalty, I am royalty. I'm chosen. I'm chosen. I'm peculiar, I'm I'm holy. holy. Say, I'm not trying to be, I'm not not praying to be, be. I am not hoping to be, be. I I am. He says, I am a holy nation. Now I know some of you in your heart, you want to protest. And you say, God, how would you call me holy? I mean, I even feel hypocritical. Saying this along with everyone else. I know all the habits that I'm struggling with. In what context am I holy? What about my habits now? To be clear, the Bible is replete with instructions regarding how we should live. And the Bible is clear that our conduct should align with our position. So many texts, too many to go through right now. He says, abstain from fleshly lusts, mortify the deeds of the body, make no provision for the flesh, flee immorality, put off the old man, cleanse yourself from all filthiness, perfecting holiness in the fear of God, walk in the spirit and you shall not fulfill the loss of the flesh. So many instructions. Therefore, any doctrine that minimizes the importance of striving to ensure that your conduct aligns with your position is false. So why then does God call me holy? Because holiness is one of many words in the Bible that have different nuances. There are words in English, for instance, that have two meanings, three meanings. And so you literally have to look at the context to understand what meaning was intended. So there is a secondary meaning for holiness. Secondary. And the secondary meaning happens to be the more popular meaning. Holiness means or is usually a synonym for moral purity. You see, when you talk about holiness in the church, what comes to people's mind immediately is moral purity or personal righteousness. And I've shared, of course, myriads of texts, although although in passing, texts that talk about that. It's important to God. But then there is a primary meaning. And I'm not the one who calls it primary. Just by studying the Bible, you see an emphasis on this meaning. There is something theologians call the law of first mention. And it goes like this. The first time a word is mentioned in the Bible, you need to pay attention to how that word is used. Because that will inform the primary way that that word should be understood throughout the Bible. And the first time that the word holiness is used, it wasn't used to refer to moral purity, as important as that is. In fact, throughout the book of Exodus, holiness as a word never referred to moral purity even once. God said to Moses, Take off your shoes. Because the place you are coming to is holy ground. Now you ask yourself the question, what rules and regulations did the ground obey to be called holy? What rules? What did the ground do? What conduct did he, did the ground live by? Why was it called holy? God called the day holy also. He says you have six days, but the seventh you will observe it as a holy day, Sabbath. God called places holy. His, the, the Old Testament temple and tabernacles were called holy. It had a place called the most holy place. What statutes did they obey? There is a second, and I dare say, a more primary meaning to holiness. I'm driving at something. I know we touched on this when we talked about snow just last month. But I just want you to understand that both are very important. And in fact, God, in a very strategic way, placed equal importance on both of them. Let me tell you this. There are three times that God wrote with his hands in the Bible. Three times. The first two times he wrote the same thing. It was the Ten Commandments, even though Moses broke the first one, so he had to write another one. And then the second time, it was on the wall in Babylon. Now, pay attention. So, just think about it. I remember years ago, I served in the student chaplaincy of my university. And that office used to partner with a certain ministry. And um, this pastor from the U.S. wrote his partners. And this time around, he wrote all his partners by hand. And I remember opening the letter and seeing his writing. I, I, I felt so special. I felt so touched. Now think about the fact that once upon a time, some people somewhere in this earth knew what God's handwriting looked like. You, you have to understand the sacredness of that. Listen, yes, we know we have better days in Christ. But you see, there's a reason why Paul opens the third chapter of Romans chapter 3 by, say, by saying, What advantage have the Jews? This is much in every way. He says, To them was committed the oracles of God. So it's, it's special that someone went up a mountain and God wrote on tablets of stone and he came down with it. That's special. And what were the things that were written? Thou shalt not kill. Thou shalt not commit adultery. Thou shalt not steal. And so God ratified moral holiness with his writing. These instructions must be very important. God wrote about it. There is no question how important this is. And it's, in, it's emphasized in many churches and in the body of Christ and rightly so. And God, before he wrote, told them, if you will keep this covenant, you shall be holy. So now, the writings of God ratify his perspective of holiness and his expectation of moral holiness. But the second time God wrote... It wasn't particularly because any of those commandments were broken. In fact, Belteshazzar, who was the king of Babylon at the time, was doing a lot of wrong things. He was drunk and God said nothing, even though drunkenness is a sin. He had concubines, you know, and they were just frolicking around and God said nothing, even though that's a sin. And it just, this just paints a picture of the degree of importance you know, these things have in the sight of God. He was doing all the wrong stuff and God said nothing. Then he went and took utensils meant for the temple worship in Jerusalem, brought those cups, served drinks with them, and was drinking. And then God saw another important, urgent reason to write again. He wrote on the wall, Menetekel of Asim, which was later interpreted, you have been weighed in the balance and found wanting. The first was ratifying moral holiness. This second was ratifying a different type of holiness. You see, those cups were holy. And I know it sounds weird, but the cups were holy. This leads me to the second and primary definition of holiness. Holiness is used to describe God and everything he owns. Did you hear me? You can't think of holiness as trying not to sin. Otherwise, why then is God holy? God is not trying not to sin. Hallelujah. It's, a, it's used to describe God and everything he owns. And it's in that context he says you are a chosen generation. So this is why he calls you a holy nation. He called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. So... Holiness actually talks about consecration. It means to be separate. He separated you from darkness. So the two times, you could say three, that God wrote, by implication, he placed both types of holiness on the same pedestal. How come the church emphasizes just one? Have we talked about our sacredness? He says, I am a chosen generation, a royal priesthood. Listen, has that revelation been driven into your consciousness? I'm a holy nation, I'm separate. Listen, I walk with everybody, I play with everybody, I go to public schools and all of that, but I'm separate. I'm separate. I'm a holy nation. Say that. Now, when you come to 1 Corinthians 6, you see something very interesting. God already told us in the Ten Commandments, Thou shalt not commit adultery. That's morally wrong. But then in 1 Corinthians 6, you see a more important reason. Not to commit adultery. Based on the law of Moses, you know, okay, it is. Based on holiness by conduct, you shouldn't commit adultery. But then there is a deeper reason. This positional holiness I'm talking about, just because you belong to God, that's positional. You are in Christ, so you are holy. That's even a bigger reason for holiness by conduct. Turn your Bibles, First Corinthians 6. You need to see this. Do you understand all I've said thus far? Yes, all right, now look at 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse from verse 18. It says, flee sexual immorality. He says, He could have just said, because it's wrong. You need to push you. Holiness by conduct. He could have said that, and that would be correct. But then he says something else. He says every sin that a man does is outside the body. But he who commits sexual immorality sins against his own body. What's he talking about? He says, or do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost? Who is in you, who you have from God, and that you are not your own So, this is a different type of holiness. Are you getting what I'm saying? He says, God owns you, so you're holy. And so, this is what he says in verse 20. He says, for you were bought with a price. Therefore, glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which, which are God's. So, I am not to avoid fornication just because it is morally wrong, even though it is. There is a deeper reason, a deeper consciousness. It says, what? Know ye not that your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost, which you have from God, and that you are not your own? So it turns out, emphasizing positional holiness is not in any way minimizing Holiness by conduct. In fact, it's a greater motivation for it. Because he made me holy positionally, how then can I? No wonder Paul said, how can we who are dead to sin live any longer therein? Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Now, let me tell you this. What God had against Belteshazzar is the same thing he has against people who just live anyhow. Whatever I call sacred, you must treat as sacred. That's the principle. Did you hear what I said? That's God's mindset. So, if I dedicate these cups for the temple, they must be used for the temple. And the same thing, a believer is consecrated before the Lord. And now he must be cautious. Listen, he must treat himself as sacred. He says, You are the temple. <laughs> Do you know what that means? Greek word naos, it means shrine. Let me b- preach it to you in African terms so it, it, it will sink. A deity lives in you. Let me be more specific. The deity lives in you. It's, listen, listen, consciousness is not just, I'm not trying to hype you, it's a reality. He's trying to help you see. Don't you know? Don't you know? Belteshazzar did not know. And even if you might not have gone overboard as he did, listen. You also ought to know there is a consciousness. There is a consciousness. God lives in me. Hallelujah. <laughs> Say that with me. Say, God lives in me. God lives in me. Say it again. Say, God lives, in me. God lives in me. Look at me, everybody. If you learn what I am teaching you, it will change your life. Listen, you will just shift. From, uh, did you hear what I said? Yes, sir. I told you last week, the things that religious men pursue, pursue men of intimacy. Hallelujah with me very quickly. Second Corinthians chapter 3. Listen, I can just come here, pray for the sick and do all of that and go. But if revival will last, it has to come with a word. That's why every Wednesday, I'm first of all going to teach you. You need to learn this. This is so important. Second Corinthians chapter 3 verse 6. Let me start um, from verse 5. It says, Not that we are sufficient of ourselves to think of anything as of ourselves, but our sufficiency is of God, who also has made us ministers of the new covenant, not of the letter, but of the spirit. So now he's making a comparison between what Moses had and what we have. Hallelujah. I told you how special this letter he's talking about is. God's writing. And he's saying, what you have is greater. He has made us able ministers of the new covenant, not of the letter, but of the Spirit. For the letter kills, but the Spirit gives life. He says, now he's making a contradistinction and you need to follow this. In verse 7, he says, but if the ministry of death, written and engraving on stones, was glorious... So that the children of Israel could not look steadfastly at the face of Moses because of the glory of his countenance, which glory was passing away. How will the ministry of the Spirit not be more glorious? This is what he's doing. To help you understand the excellency of the glory you have and the sacredness that is on your life. He says, look at the types and the shadows. That temple that God was so finicky about, he never dwelt there. Ah! Did you hear what I said? Yeah. Yet he responded with such a jealousy when Belshazzar are dead to take from it for entertainment. How much more you? Ah! Yeah. So you have to understand how much an... And and normally it would be for you to live casually. If God responded to such abuse, he he had to write on the wall. And he never dwelt there. Let me show you Hebrews chapter 2. Hebrews chapter 2 verse (coughs) 2. You know what it says, Hebrews 2, 2. It says, for if the word spoken by angels was steadfast. If the word spoken by angels was steadfast, and every transgression and disobedience received a just recompense of reward. So, because (laughs) God had ratified the Old Testament practice, those utensils were holy unto him. When Belteshazzar was out of line, he judged him. And this was Old Testament and it was steadfast. It says, How shall we escape? If we neglect so great a salvation, which at the first was spoken of the Lord and was confirmed by them that hear him. So now the glory is <laughs> excellent. The glory of the new covenant is excellent. So glorious, you can no longer call that of the Old Testament glorious. And now the stakes are higher. So we ought to pay attention to have a greater consciousness of sacredness than the Jews had. This is where it is difficult. He said you have not come to a mount that might be touched, A mount that that, that burns with fire and brimstone. You know, our human mind can resonate with that. When you're walking on the road and you see a calabash. And you see food in it. And you see blood around it. And a red cloth. You are more conscious. That spiritual activity has happened there. And that's why people have um, the tendency to have more respect. Because of the limitation of their mind. More respect for the Old Testament temple. And for the template of stone. Because it was God's handwriting. There is something about us. That is fascinated by the things that are dramatic. Even though they are not in themselves deeply spiritual. But now he says, our sufficiency is of God. Who has made us able ministers. He's talking about something higher. He says, not of the letter, but of the Spirit's. It might have been dramatic for you if someone went up a mountain and came down with the handwriting of God. But know this for a fact. What you have is more special. And when you think of the kind of decorum they had entering the Old Testament temple, the kind of decorum, the kind of order that was there, the kind of consciousness of divine presence that was there, that consciousness should be more in your life. It takes training to see it. So we want to use the strategy of Paul briefly. Paul, to show you the excellence of the glory on your life, first talked about the glory on Moses and said, how much more? So I want to do that briefly just to help you see how special you are because make no mistake, you can be special and not know. I've told you this before. The power you see manifest in your life is not commensurate with the power that you have. It is commensurate with your knowledge. You will only do as much as you know. Because guess what? The spirit of of a prophet is subject. Did you hear what I said? The spirit of a prophet is subject to the prophet. So you are suppressing the move of God by your ignorance. Because you don't know, you can gather remnants of an altar, make it a pillow and sleep. You see that? And you wake up and say, God was here and I did not know. So the question this evening is, who do you think you are? This question... Will change your life forever. Did you hear what I said? So Stephen is preaching. Doing a commentary of the Old Testament. In Acts chapter 7. And in verse 47. He gives a commentary on the Old Testament temple. And he says. But Solomon built him a house. Talking about the temple that Solomon built. Solomon, he says, But Solomon built him a house, howbeit the Most High dwelleth not in temples made with hands. As saith the prophet, Heaven is my throne and the earth is my footstool. What house will you build me, saith the Lord? Or what, where is the place of my rest? So despite all the manifestations they saw there, the Shekinah, do you know what it means? A cloud, a visible cloud, will enter into the tent of meeting. They saw all those dramatic manifestations of power. And yet, God did not dwell there. I'm painting a picture so you see how much more. It, it's, it's just a comparison. If they had that, now. Do you know how strange it would be for some people if a cloud should enter this place now? And something very close to that will happen. Yeah. Mark my words, before I'm done, there will be a shift. You will know it. Body go tell you. Did you hear what I said? Now they were having that Solomon built him a house. He says, "Howbeit, the Most High does not dwell in temples made with hands." <laughs> Paul was preaching in Acts chapter seventeen, verse twenty-four. He says, "God that made the world, Acts seventeen twenty-four. God that made the world and all things therein, seeing that He is Lord of heaven and earth, dwelleth not in temples made with hands." He. He's, he's helping you see the logical side to this. If he made heaven and earth, are you going to build him a house? If he made the world and all that is in it, he can't dwell in a temple made with hands. Guess what? It is not New Testament revelation that God never dwelt in temples. It is not. Solomon knew. You need to pay attention to details. If you see what Solomon prayed when he was dedicating the temple, you will know he knew. I want to read it to you. Open your Bibles, 1 Kings chapter 8. You need to read the Old Testament once a while, okay? You know answer now. (laughs) 1 Kings chapter 8, from verse 27. This will bless you. Now, he has just built an edifice, a masterpiece. An architectural masterpiece. It had gold. It had all the precious stones. Cost a lot of money. His father had left a lot of gold and a lot of... In fact, his father had left servants for the building of the, building of the temple. And he also added his own. I wish I could tell you, you know... Um, The exact worth of everything, that's just going to take more time. But now he's dedicating it, and in verse 27 of 1 Kings 8, he says, But God, but will God indeed dwell on the earth? He says, Behold, the heaven and the heaven of the heavens cannot contain you. How much less this temple which I have built. He says, yet regard the prayer of your servant and his supplication. O Lord God, and listen to the cry and the prayer your servant is praying to you today. Verse 29, everybody read together, 1 to go. That your eye may be towards this temple night and day, towards the place which you said, my name shall be there, that you may hear the prayer which your servant makes towards this place. Verse 31 to go. And may hear the supplication of your servant and your people. When they pray towards this place, here where? Here where? Here in heaven, your dwelling place. Here in heaven, your dwelling place, and when you hear, forgive. So he knew. So guess what? God was not there and he knew it. Yet, look at verse 10. You will read verse 10 and verse 11. Verse 10, read one to go. And it came to pass when the priest came out of the holy place that the cloud filled the house of the Lord. What filled the house of the Lord? Verse 11, one to go. It says it filled it so much, the priest could not continue ministering. Because it filled the house of the Lord. They, they couldn't stand. They couldn't continue. It, it interrupted their order, uh, you know, and everything. And God was not there. So the question is how much more? Turn your Bibles, Ephesians chapter 2. Ephesians chapter two. If an air the teeth, the teeth the fact at this. Part the trekipite, the shoes the fact at crekito says, "I put a treasure in your heart," says the Lord. The treasure is my spirit. Pay attention to that treasure. Celebrate that treasure. It says, because there is nothing outside more valuable than what you have inside. Have I not said, greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. It says, when you celebrate that treasure, there will be an effulgence of glory. It says, and you will see beauty all around. It says, because that treasure is radiant. Pay attention to that treasure, says the Lord. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. How can demons torment you? How can you be sleeping and something is pressing you? How can you, the slightest thing you're looking for a pastor to pray for you. Do you know who you are? From verse 20. He says, having been built on the foundation, now he's using metaphors, building metaphors, foundation of apostles and prophets, Jesus Christ Himself being the chief cornerstone. He's using metaphors, architectural metaphors. Verse 20 21. Everybody read together, once to go. Read together loud as you can. Want to go, in whom you also are built together for a dwelling place of God in the spirit. MS. Read it again and personalize it. Say, I also want to go, in whom I also am built together for a dwelling place of God in the spirit. Hallelujah. If it is true that the spirit that hovered over the face of the deep and preempted the voice of God saying let there be light if that same spirit dwells in you it ought to show it ought to show listen and so because of the sacredness of your life expect manifestations of power expect manifestations of power hallelujah So, in the Old Testament, in the dedication of the temple, the glory filled that place. They couldn't stand. We see examples of that in the New Testament. There was a guy, the Bible says, had a dumb and deaf spirit. And when Jesus rebuked that spirit, the Bible says he fell down as though he was dead. But he wasn't. He fell down as though he... So he was just responding to the power of God. So sometimes this happens and it causes healing immediately. It causes healing immediately. Sometimes it happens and it causes consecration. Saul is in rebellion going to Damascus. To arrest Christians, and then all of a sudden, there is a bright light, and a voice from it. Saul, saw, why are you persecuting me? It knocked him off, knocked him off, consecration, and then sometimes it's just worship, it's just worship with this consciousness. You see, you, you get more conscious of it sometimes alone in my room I'm worshipping and, and it becomes so intense I stagger sometimes I fall the Bible tells us in Revelation 1 that Jesus appeared and when John saw him he fell as dead just the same way that dumb and deaf guy even though John this time did not need the healing it was just worship. it just knocked him off Hallelujah. What will your life be? What will your life look like if you learn to walk in this consciousness? And this is why you have to be thankful for a church like this. See, I have walked in this for years. I've walked in this for years. Sometimes I don't need to touch people just by proximity. Because you have to understand that the anointing functions a bit like electricity. Electricity is transferred by radiation, by conduction, and by convection. So sometimes it's actual contact from source to source. Sometimes it's through a medium, maybe a cloth, And sometimes it's just proximity. I've seen it work many times hallelujah and what if you just realize that you carry that same grace it's our privilege I'm a temple do you understand don't look for God I'm here I'm not God but I carry him I'm a mobile temple I'm a mobile temple. Did you hear what I said? Huh? One more text and then we pray. Oh, but Ephesians chapter 3 verse 20. Mobile, (laughs) F N. Listen. It says the glory of the latter house shall be greater than the former. What you carry is greater than the temple in Jerusalem. Hallelujah. Did you hear what I said? Ephesians three twenty. Hallelujah. Some of you. The manifestation of miracles in your life is about to shift. I'm telling you. It's about to shift. It's about to shift. Ephesians 3:20. Is your Bible in your hand? Read out loud 1 2 go. Hallelujah. Do you believe that? Read it again with conviction. One to go. Personalize it now. Say now to him who is able to do exceeding abundantly above. I can ask or imagine according to the power, according the laying on of my hands. Sometimes ministry gifts help stir up what is already residing in you. Hallelujah. But the most important thing today is the consciousness. Say now to him They will rather keep knocking on doors for God to give them stuff. God is telling you, I have brought you in (laughs) to sit where I sit. That is more excellent. Hallelujah. The church has dwelt too much on insufficiency. Always asking God to do something not focusing on what he has already done. Hallelujah. Right. So what I'm going to do is, I'm going to give you a few minutes. The keyboard will just keep playing. I'm going to give you a few minutes. You're going to meditate on this word, soak it in. Let me tell you this. What I'm teaching you is what got me to where I am. did not say freely you have received freely give this will not be taught this is esoteric this is special thank you Jesus one more time say now unto him (laughs) who is able to do (laughs) exceeding abundantly above (laughs) oh I can ask or think according to the power that walks <laughs> I give you a few minutes meditate on that now That I talked about is inside you. Bring it out. Stop this atmosphere. Stop this atmosphere. You Jesus. Hallelujah. The glory makes a new man out of you. Listen, it opens you up to new possibilities. That's what it does what it does. You've gone in your own strength for too long. It's time for glory. Thank you, Lord. Listen. There's a difference between staring up glory and watching for it. Watch for it. So sometimes you can be praying, but you need to pay attention. Otherwise, a lot will breeze past you. We have a few minutes more. Listen. Training people takes more time. I can tear up this place now. All right. But I want you to do work. I want you to contribute. Did you hear what I said? Look at your hands. Say, These signs follow me. I lay hands on the sick, and they recover. Say, these signs follow me. I lay hands on the sick. And they recover. Say, I'm full of power. From the crown of my head. To the tip of my toes. Say, how God anointed Emmanuel Aaron. With the Holy Ghost and with power. I go about doing good. Say, everywhere I go, I do good. I cast out devils. I heal the sick. I raise the dead. Thank you, Lord. Thank you for listening. We are sure that you have been blessed. For inquiries, reach us on our helpline. Zero eight zero nine 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 six seven thousand Blessing